Hey, this is Corey Wong. If you are interested in guitar players, if you're interested in artists and how they think, why they create, what it is that motivates them to create, come check out my podcast, Wong Notes Podcast, where I get to interview some of my absolute heroes, people like John Mayer, Niall Rogers, Jacob Collier, Madison Cunningham, Benson, Vi, Santana, Satriani, Lukather, Matheny. Oh, the names are insane icons of the guitar, icons of artistry and creativity. I absolutely love sitting down with these musicians and getting to ask them about their creative process and get into the details of why they do what they do. Check it out, Wong Notes. Listen now, wherever you get podcasts. Everybody, it's Jason Shadrick back again with another week of chasing frets, and this week I have my other co-host joining me, Joe Gore. How you doing, Joe? I'm doing great, especially considering the world around us. Um, really stoked about this new project with with Jason, and really happy to be here, folks. Yeah, it's going to be fun. So last week we had Andy and Tom, Andy Ellis and Tommy Emmanuel on, and this week uh, we have. Uh, a guest that Joe uh, suggested, the the great Blake Mills. Blake Mills, who is absolutely one of my favorite current guitarists, just one of the finest players of his generation. Uh, he's a very unique, very inspiring player with a very deep and profound artistic sensibility. And he's had at least as much success as a producer as he has as a player. And... Um, uh, Besides releasing four solo albums, the new one, Mutable Set, just came out. Um, he's worked with uh, Lucinda Williams, uh, Randy Newman, Billy Gibbons, Fiona Apple, Jessica Hoop, uh, Connor Oberst, and many other artists. Uh, he's produced John Legend and Fiona Apple, and uh, he's been twice nominated for a Grammy in 2015 for Alabama Shakes Sound and Color and then again in 2017 for uh, Perfume Genius's No Shape. So uh, this is a fascinating dude. I've known Blake for a long time now. I think I mm-hmm. first encountered him when he was 19 or 20. This is about 13 years ago on a project for Apple. And um, I, was, I was just astounded um, by what I was hearing coming out of this teenager. Um, I'm not talking, you know, technique or showy stuff, though his technique is phenomenal. But even as that young a musician, he was playing with this incredible depth and maturity and wisdom. And I mean this as a as a lofty compliment. You were sort of playing like a sixty year old guy <laughs> who's been who's been doing it for for forty or fifty years. And it was just uncanny to see such an old soul in such a young body. Mm-hmm. And um, the just the depth of what I was hearing was um, amazing. And uh, it just keeps getting deeper and deeper. So um, Blake is heavy, man. Well, with that intro, Blake, welcome to the podcast. Thank you guys very much. Thank you, Joe. That was really kind and, and, uh, and uh, embarrassing. And I miss... <laughs> I missed that it. comes more from a place of envy than jealousy. <laughs> oh, I, meant, I, I mean, more from a place of envy than uh, than uh, 
anything else. I miss that young body of which you speak, the young touring man's uh, carry on. Um, but I'm, I'm really happy to be here with you guys. And, and, um, and Joe, you know, I, I feel the same about your musicality. And, and uh, I, I grew up listening to your playing on, on uh, with, with Tom Waits. And then once we, we, once we met and, 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 and now that we know each other, it's just, I'm always tickled to see your name show up on, on a record and, and go, well, okay, well, of course, that's why, that's why. I'm Very kind of you, Blake. Thanks. Yeah. Cool. So Joe, tell us a little bit about the topic we're going to be talking uh, about with Blake today. Well, Blake, let's get into some of the nuts and bolts of your slide playing. Your slide work is one of the things that most astounded me when we first met, um, and it's gotten more and more idiosyncratic and interesting and unique as the years have gone by. While you can most definitely play all the traditional familiar slide gestures, it's usually not what you do. Um, uh, hearing you play slide is just one surprise after another. It feels as if you're pulling these ideas up from the earth for the first time, rather than going to the old standbys that a lot of us um, instinctively turn to as soon as we put a slide on our finger. Uh, it's a series of engaging surprises. Another fascinating aspect of your slide playing is a very sophisticated and world music informed sense of intonation. You most definitely use the slide to get those in between the crack pitches that don't coincide with the way uh, guitar fretboards are laid out, sometimes evoking Arabic music or West African music. And uh, it's just a very wide and surprising and deep palette that you have to draw from. So Blake, where did your kind of slide guitar journey begin? Okay, well actually it began um, with with an injury. Um, I think I must have been about 12 or 13. So I had been playing guitar for a couple of years and um, I was playing with a friend uh, and I think I was like looking through, I was waiting for him to come outside of his house we were going to go play out in this kind of grassy area. We li I lived in a, uh, 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 what do you call it? Like a, it was sort of like a cross between a cul-de-sac and, and like a town home um, uh, complex. And so it's like a, it was gated. And then all these, all of these town homes sort of like formed a, a, a horseshoe. And so he was my neighbor and, and I was looking through the front door waiting for him to, come out of the house and the door was open big wooden door and and uh and his his mom comes out of the house first closes the door for some reason i didn't realize that my hand was in the you know the spot where the door mm. and so the thing just shut and and it and it it crushed the ring finger and the tip of my ring finger i had fractured and and i and it was a kind of a gruesome injury and now, I mean, uh, th th so your 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 uh, podcast is just audio, right? There's no video. Mm -hmm. or, okay, yeah. but, you're, you're but you're talking. You're fretting. Hand. Yeah, my fretting hand, exactly. So now, I mean, you guys can see this because we're on a Zoom call. But like, the the finger on my fretting hand is longer than the ring finger on my. And it's even bent back a little bit more. Probably, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. it's like thicker, and 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 so that was in a cast. Or like a splint for I don't remember how many weeks, but um, 
but the splint had a metal, uh, <laughs> you know, a metal bar or, 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 or like about the, the, the width and thickness of like a popsicle stick. Mm-hmm. One of those kind of like folds around. So uh, that's when I started playing slide. It was just, I was, um, I, I had this thing around my finger and, and, um, and it got me interested in, I was aware of, of slide, uh, you know, and knew that there, there was a history behind it. And, and it got me interested in um, a couple of players at that time. Uh, well, it got me interested in Derek trucks for one. Um, and at this time it was, it was still mostly just bootlegs from live shows that were circulating around. Um, and, and my, my proximity to, to those bootlegs was, um, due in part to the fact that I, I'd grown up playing music with a lot of the, 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 the pedigree of, um, Allman Brothers offspring, you know, so, 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 so Dickie Betts his son Dwayne was somebody that I grew up playing music with um, off and on and Barry Oakley Jr. a bass player uh, was somebody I grew up with who's obviously the son of Barry Oakley the original bass player in the Almonds and um, and so our our community of musicians was was um, already pretty well versed in in this particular style of slide playing that that sort of hailed from Dwayne Allman and 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 Warren Haynes and and at this point Derek Trucks. Well, Derek was my introduction into the sort of electric slide playing. Um, and then on the acoustic side, I had come across and I don't remember how, but a couple of Bob Brosman records. And um, and so that was sort of another world that was that was opened up at at a pretty young age, not just of um, slide guitar technique, but but the ethnomusic, ethnomusical, uh, ethnomusicological, I don't know how do I expand upon that word, to, but, but just the, the, the literal world of world music um, was, was at my fingertips because you also at the same time had like Kazaa and you had Napster and all of these things starting. So you could hear something and then type it in and get 50 other examples of uh, something from that country or uh, another recording by a musician who was a, a, a guest musician on uh, a track by Bob, Bob Brosman. You know, mm. his thing was making records with people, other musicians from around the world um, and, and in, in the style of their uh, traditional music or indigenous music from that country. So there was a deep respect for Joe. You were talking about the intonation um, of, of non-Western instruments and, and singers. Actually, it, it's a lot of that comes from the the records that uh, Bob Brosman made uh, and and playing with him, and um, and then also some of those same influences. I think I had later found out uh, were behind what. Derek was listening to and what he was kind of emulating on the slide. Mm-hmm. Can you cite some examples of discoveries you made during that time that um, had a lasting uh, impact? Yeah. Um, Nina Simone was somebody who I think I first heard when they made the Thomas Crown Affair remake with 
Pierce Brosnan. And they used Sinner Man during like the art heist scene. Um, and it was perfect. It was just, it was great. And it was my first memory of like a real long playing montage where they just let the song go, you know, and you, you, you get the full scope of the way it builds. And uh, I just loved the, the minimalism of this, the track. It was just piano, no bass for the majority of it, piano, vocal and hand claps. And, and, and I just thought it was um, electrifying. And, um, and then when the bass and guitar come in later, it's, it's really tasteful. It's really good, but it wasn't what brought me into the song. I think, you know, it was, it was really more um, what she was singing and how she was singing. And so I, I started trying to, I started like repeating these phrases in my head, you know, like when you get a, 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 an earworm or a song stuck in your head, and it's just like one phrase at a time that just loops. And I remember trying to play those phrases um, with the cast on my hand mm. and, um, and realizing that there were things that you can do with a slide um, to emulate vocals. Mm-hmm. And it started, I, and then I was just, just listening to records differently from then on, you know, vocalists completely differently. And it's like, sort of like trying to chart their intonation and their, how long they w- stay on a note before they start to introduce vibrato and things like that became um, apparent. And you can go back to records that you know really well and, and re-listen to them and, and find um, those details. And, and it also affected the way that I started to listen to new music. You know, it was like mm-hmm. just this new sort of uh, checklist. And on the instrumental side, for slide, I, I think uh, maybe some of the relevant, the relevant instruments might've been like Ali Farkaturi's violin playing, fiddle playing and, and, Ali Akbar Khan, I mean, the, the Sarat is a really, it's really translatable just because of the, 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 the nature of the instrument. It's, it's like fretless guitar in a lot of ways. And so mm-hmm. the intonation and, and um, the note duration even is, is something that's much more akin to guitar already. So um, um, definitely that, that, that came into play, but. Uh, now at this yeah. time when you said you're, it sounded like your first kind of gateway was Derek trucks um, into electric slide guitar. That kind I of think, thing. I think it, well for electric. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think Bob might've predated, um, okay. Bob Ross might've predated Derek for me, but, but for electric, definitely. So at this time, were you still kind of trying to emulate these people through standard tuning or had you already ventured into discovering that Derek himself was in a open tuning? That's a good question. I don't remember. I mean, I'm, I used to, I used to find certain things in, in standard tuning um, mm-hmm. slide. Um, definitely. But the box is really hard to get out of, you know, the, the pentatonic shapes and the, the, the um, translation of licks that you already know or ways that you already know how to play certain phrases based on, uh, finger style playing in standard tuning is is tough to break on yeah. slide, and so sometimes it makes 
slides sound a little like a novelty, like like it's doing an impression of guitar, fingerstyle guitar, it, um, meaning playing slide in standard tuning. I, I think I, I kind of was trying to get away from, I was trying to make it sound as different as I could. And the open tunings thing was something that was already happening for me based on um, Michael Hedges and Lawrence Juber records. Mm -hmm. um, the, and and you know, those are predominantly acoustic uh, records. So I was, mess I was associating alternate tunings more with acoustic guitar than electric guitar. At this age, it was, I remember feeling like these two worlds, like, I mean, first of all, Bob Brosman as a mentor was somebody who was also kind of a, a purist when it came to acoustic music. Um, and there, there was like an orthodoxy almost. And when he found out that I even played electric slide guitar and I had like a little trio and would play in a bar in Malibu, um, I think he was kind of, um, I think he was kind of disturbed by it. I think he was a little, he felt Judas. yeah, a little bit. It was, a, I mean, it, it was like, you're a liar. Yeah. There was that. And it was really confusing. And I had some of that in, in myself. Like I was, tr I was kind of like trying to keep these two worlds from ever meeting each other. These two, these two different styles of player. So like, uh, uh, there was no the the electric guitar music that I was listening to and playing with my with my schoolmates and what I was doing on a resonator, uh, you know, on weekends up in Santa Cruz, where it was like it was like witness protection program. Yeah. Um, so uh, I don't remember. It took. I mean, like maybe mid teens or towards my twenties, it was, those walls were still coming down and it's like trying to, uh, um, introduce things that I felt like I came more from like a world music background from me at a young age into the music that I was writing and playing with my bandmates from school and in, in a, in a group that was more influenced by, you know, third eye blind or something than, yeah. than, uh, because it seems interesting to me that your 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 kind of social network was was directly related, literally, to the Almonds brothers circle of people, and one of your gateway uh, artists was Derek Trucks, who plays that style as well as anybody. Was was there a time you know you got your finger in this cast and you might show up to play with with Dwayne and these guys? And you start to experiment with this slide. Do some of them be like, "Oh man, here's another guy who wants to cop Dwayne licks"? No. Or, or did you? Or were you already kind of on a kind of a more world music influence path as soon as you picked it up? I never, I never dug into Dwayne's playing and tried to cop what he was doing. I, I in fact, I was more drawn to Dickie's playing when I when I would do a little research and figure out who was doing the thing that I was really. Uh, um, honing in on on the on a lot of the almond records, it, it ended up being Dicky. But uh, no, I mean, if anything, I, I think people were probably going, "Oh, here's somebody 
he sounds like Derek. Mm. You know, and to me, Derek doesn't sound like Dwayne. I don't. I've never listened to Derek and thought, "Oh, it's in the lineage." If he were, if he weren't in that band and in that family, I don't think I would. I'd be surprised if people made that connection to to Dwayne. I mean, uh, just to clarify one thing, you said a minute ago, you were commuting to Santa Cruz to take lessons with Bob Brosman every weekend. Yeah, for the. Uh, for the non-Californians in the audience, <laughs> that's like a 600-mile commute both ways. Yeah, my, my, um, that's, some, that's some serious dedication. That is dedication on my dad's part. My dad, um, my dad w- was a huge supporter of um, that part of my uh, uh, musicianship, you know, at that age. He, 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 he really, uh, and he loved to drive. Yeah, so so it was kind of a, you know, that's the the the, the third generation Angelino. Uh, what would you what would you listen to on those road trips? That's a good question. Uh, anything from so the record that I was really enchanted by of of Bob Brosman's was the one that he made with Jelly Musa Juara called Ocean Blues, and um, and Jelly Musa is, is a chorus player, he in. And I was fascinated by the sound of the Cora. And so during the time when I first started to go up to Santa Cruz, I was trying to figure out how to get a guitar to sound like a Cora by getting a lot of uh, adjacent notes in a scale to ring over each other. And, and those, those kind of like big stretch fingerings to where you can, you can have a lot of consecutive notes uh, ring out like a harp. Mm-hmm. Um, that was that was what I was really fascinated by, and then the rhythm, the the the, the polyrhythmic, sort of syncopated, uh, polyrhythmic way of of playing chora within within a uh, time signature. Um, you know, playing a, a phrase of six notes, for example, uh, as eighth notes, and just letting that kind of unravel against across four bars that that was like that was like taking uh, psychedelics <laughs> and so i was trying to figure out how to play all these chorus style parts that were on this record and then we would go up and bob had these seminars that he would do and it would be like a group lesson in his home and uh and i went up for one i was in, invited after seeing him play at mccabe's down in santa monica he said well you know, if your son's interested, I do these seminars. He was talking to my dad. I do these seminars at my house up in Santa Cruz. So we show up to one and, um, and it was great, but it was kind of, uh, fundamentals. It was, it was very rudimentary and like beginner slide stuff. And I think he noticed that, that it was, um, it was not really where, where I was, where I was at, you know? And so I stayed after that lesson and, and, and and we did more of a one-on-one thing and then after two or those or three of those i remember we had a show at the kwamba jazz center and it was um it was a it was sort of like a show it was like almost like we were the opening act like the opening act was he and i playing together uh and um and another uh, guitar player named Kyle uh Kyle Oh man, it was another student of Bob's or, or like, you know, disciple and Kyle's 
cousin is Critter Eldridge, which I found out like oh, wow. two years ago, you know, after all this stuff. <laughs> and um, um, I'll get Kyle's last name by the, you know, at the end of this interview so we can put it in. But the he was a great like blues uh, like a traditional acoustic blues slide player. So we, we played a set with Bob uh, and then Bob did like a solo set. And, and that happened like two times maybe. And then I, and then I showed him a tape of, of the, the set, the bar band, uh, acoustic guitar set with drums and, uh, and his reaction kind of like freaked me out a little bit and kind of put me off of it. And I, I just, I was in high school and I wanted to impress girls and you weren't going to do that by, you know, um, by uh, showing them Abdullah Abraham records or something at Malibu High School, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> yeah. Different times now, but. Right. So to kind of wrap up this this episode, you mentioned that Bob Bob Brotzman record that he did, um, that duo record that he did. Are there a couple other albums you could point to for people to check out that were, in terms of slide guitar, that were uh, especially influential to you during this time that they can go check out? Hmm. Acoustic or electric. I'm trying to remember like what I was, tr what I was trying to transcribe. Like I, I, uh, I was not really a huge fan of, of guitar records. And, and I think maybe Derek was the only slide player, you know, mm -hmm. that, that I, I probably like the, the Derek trucks band records. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Cause I don't even, he had just joined the, almonds i believe uh right around that time like 97 98 something like that was it that early because i well he who was before him it was uh, jack, uh jack. Yeah, jack pearson yeah um i remember seeing him with maybe he was just filling in for dickie but yeah i think it was, maybe it was around 2000 when he like stepped in fully i think 2000 2001 i think you're right and that was yeah. around the time when i became aware of of uh when i be came aware of his playing so for the time you know for the years between that and uh when i got my finger injury it was it was more acoustic mm. world music um and the way that bob brosman played slide was more traditional i mean he would incorporate um mannerisms from different instruments like the like indian slide players you know, debashish and Bridge Bhattacharya and, and, and VM Bhatt and these guys. So there was an exposure to slide guitar in that sense. But I found that like I was in love with the other instruments on the Bob Brosman records. More than know? the guitar. And, and yeah. More than guitar. And, and slide was a part of the vocabulary and guitar was an instrument that was like a first language. But, but for me, I was trying to hear things that I could translate on guitar, you know, as a first language. I, I, it was not, my response to hearing a great singer was not to try to sing or a great pianist. It was not to try to learn how to play piano. I felt pretty limited by my abilities on another instrument. So I would just try to figure out a way of uh, approximating something on guitar because guitar at that point was so familiar. Mm -hmm. 
Um, so it was there, there, my big, my, my, my big musicians for those years, um, were Nina Simone, Donny Hathaway. That live um, record. Yeah. The live record is incredible, but his string arrangements, I mean, his, 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 his arranging on, on his like proper studio records is insane. I mean, his style as a, as a string arranger is something that I think is, is, uh, um, certain people have been copying like diligently. And I think at some point soon, we're going to start to hear a lot of people realizing like, Oh, this is a sound, you know, especially with the, with, with the explosion of like Neo soul mm -hmm. now, and, uh, certainly in the guitar world. Um, I think there is going to be a, a resurgence of people looking at his production and his arranging and, 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 and uh, applying some of their, their knowledge. Like there's some sophistication going on at the rudimentary level of guitar playing right now. That was so beyond anything that was like part of, of what was going around even just when I was, was, was yeah. coming up, you know, I, Dude, imagine 25 or 30 years. I know. It's so bizarre to see it, you know? I mean, I, I, I'm I'm still used to being the youngest guy in the room, but I'm 33, and and there's like, there are like two generations of guitar player, you know, uh, 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 since I was in that, felt like I was on that, that kind of bottom rung. I mean, I'm seeing young players um, I guess I'm just seeing a a, 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 a a sort of like embrace of uh, musicality. Uh, things are cool that were not cool when when I was in high school, and it's thrilling because it's chipping away at that idea that you can either have style or knowledge that like you're there's not room in the musical brain for both. Like you can go to school and learn how to be a musician, but at the expense of your artistic integrity. Uh, and that like, once you learn how to read music, you'll never get that kind of like spontaneity back. I mean that the it's, it's musical. Uh, Careful, man. You're talking <laughs> to two music school guys. No, I'm, I'm yeah. saying those things as they're like, it's a, it's a, 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 a what do you call it? It's um, superstition. False dichotomy. <laughs> I just don't believe it. I think it's a. I think it's always been a a uh, paranoia. You know, it's a grass is greener thing. It's a. It's like for me, I didn't go to music school. I didn't go to to college to study, and uh, and I I didn't because I I felt like I was right out of high school or even in high school. I was already doing some touring and and performing and I just couldn't wait to get away from academia and go play in a rock band and, and, and tour the country in a van. It was, it was, um, I felt like I had a more direct access to the things that I wanted to do at that age. And if I went to music college, which was the only college I was interested in, the only kind of schooling I was interested in continuing, um, I felt like it would be at the expense of an opportunity to, to be in a touring rock band at 18. Mm. Not that I felt like it was going to 
change the, 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 the makeup of my, you know, creative personality or mm-hmm. something like that. And, and so I, I, I think that's an important thing for, for people to, to challenge that idea that like, you have to pick one, you know, you have to be a, uh, a studied musician, but then have then sound like every other studied musician or that you can have a personality uh, that's unlike anybody else's musically, but that you'll never have any idea what it is that you're doing. Mm. Um, I, I, I never subscribed yeah. to that. And I still don't. Cool. Well, thanks for joining us today, Blake, and kind of go deep on slide guitar. We're going to have Blake back the rest of the week to talk about a couple different topics. So let's wrap up today with that. Thanks again, Joe, for joining us today. Oh, thanks for having me, you guys. And Blake, um, just, just a pleasure to watch your career unfold. You're doing really cool stuff, man. It's very kind. And we'll be back later this week with more Blake Mills. We'll talk to you guys later.